Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. It's Thursday the 28th of October and in just a few days a very special event will be taking place at Brands Hatch. Yes, the world-renowned Formula Ford Festival is celebrating its 50th edition in 2021 with what promises to be one of the strongest lineup in years as more than 100 cars are expected as well as the return of two ex-Formula 1 drivers. We'll be looking ahead to this year's event but we'll also be taking a step back in time to talk about some of the best moments from the history of this great event. I'm Stefan Mackley, Autosport's Deputy National Editor, and joining me for this podcast is Marcus Simmons, Autosport Magazine Deputy Editor, and Gary Watkins, Special Contributor and Longtime Sports Car Correspondent. Guys, thanks very much for joining me today. Um, for many people, at some stage in their lives, they will have known or been to the Formula Ford Festival. You know, it's no different for, for all of us. Um, I mean, Marcus, if I come to you first, you know, what was your first memory of the festival and um, you know, what sort of does it mean to you, um, you know, this, this event that's been, you know, going for 50 years? My first visit was in 1985. Um, and um, that year it was called the first edition Formula Ford Festival, whereas this year, of course, it's the 50th. But uh, um, I was 18 by then and um, I'd always been intrigued by the festival when reading about it in Autosport and Motoring News. Um, but um, back then, uh, growing up as I did on the Berkshire-Surrey border, uh, Brands Hatch, although it wasn't that far away as the crow flies, was always a bit tricky to get to because the M25 hadn't been completed. So so my dad and I were regulars at Thruxton and, um, and used to go to quite a few Silverstone meetings every year. But Brands was a good hour and, hour and three quarters, up to two hours to get to. So first time we ever went down to the festival was 1985 and uh, by which time most of the M25 was complete um, not quite all of it that of course was the classic year where Johnny Herbert won so um, just a great day of racing everybody remembers Johnny's win in the quest which was a proper underdog story and although he was rated as a contender I think probably most of the pundits were predicting a Paolo Karkaski win um, he was driving for the Works Van Diemen team. And of course, um, quite a few people forget is that uh, key to Herbert's win was the spectacular collision between um, Paolo Karkaski and Bertrand Gachot at the start of, of their semi-final, which um, caused a red flag uh, after Gachot had somersaulted and um, uh, allowed Johnny Herbert a couple of places up the grid for the restart um, to that semi-final. So... Um, so that was that was the start of a really a love affair with the festival, really that 
um, went through to the end of the 80s for me and then I started my motorsport journalist career at Motoring News in 1990 and I covered it as a journalist for really the first half of that decade um, of, of the 90s and um, I reckon I probably went to about 13 or 14 consecutive festivals so from the end through the late Kent era and the early ZTEC era a brilliant event to go to it wasn't it wasn't just seeing the the leading contenders from the British championships from that year but also um, the yeah, the, the foreigners coming over. I mean, my first glimpse of Michael Schumacher in action was at the 1988 festival, for example. You never realise quite how significant it's going to be until you until they go on uh, later in their careers. And what about you, Gary? You obviously you know went to the event in the 80s and have covered you know numerous. I mean, can you can you top? Um uh, Marcus's number of events that he, he covered? Certainly not, because I've only ever been to the festival as a fan. I'm not going to say I haven't done a little bit of work there when I've been there, but I, I, I went. I started going in 1981. Uh, I didn't have the M25 to worry about, or its non-existence to worry about, because I lived like 12 miles from Brands Hatch. I'm a man of Kent. I was brought up almost within earshot. I actually claim I, I, I was uh, brought up within earshot, because I'm convinced that that from home with the wind in the right direction I could hear the the bark of a DFE uh from home I I, I might have wanted to hear it but 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 that's what uh that's what I say I, my first festival so was 1981 and I pitched up there in the morning I can't remember how I got there I should think that my parents uh, gave me a lift dropped me off and then picked me up at the end of the day I got there expecting to see this a Brazilian sensation who I'd seen win races in the Townsend Torreson series that year, which was the uh, BRSCC MCD uh, championship, a chap called, uh, who we then called uh, Ayrton Senna de Silva, who won two championships that year. But it turns out that he'd gone home. <laughs> he, and uh, they, um, the Van Diemen had to find someone else to put in his car. They found Tommy Byrne, who'd sort of, been around a little while but was a another unbelievable talent and he ended up winning uh, the festival and and what we were told um when uh, we got there was that senna had gone home that was it that was his career over F- fortunately he had uh, second thoughts and was back in the uk the next year racing and winning in formula ford 2000 but if i had to say my Certainly, I enjoyed the festival in 1981, and it was the year that I I really started uh, going to Brands a lot. I probably went to Brands possibly between you know 15, 16 times that year. I've I've got all the programs somewhere, so I could I could count them if you uh, if uh, someone needed to uh, needed me to. But uh, the one I really remember that sticks in my mind more is the following year's festival, won by Julian Bailey. Uh, I think it sticks in my mind because at the end of the penultimate lap, uh, Maurizio Guzman, who was dicing with uh, uh, Julian, uh, they came together at McLaren at Clearways, call it what you, call it what you will, and uh, 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 Guzman cartwheeled out of the race. Bailey hung on to win, and Rick Morris uh, came through uh, to finish uh, second. For the second year in a row, uh, incidentally. But the, one of the things I remember about that year is that is just what an event it was, because it wasn't just um, a motor race that attracted people from all over Europe and a few from even further afield. It was almost like a mini racing car show, because in the paddock, the Formula Ford manufacturers, some of them, would would choose to debut or show their following year's contender for the first time. So. In that year, and I've written them down here because uh, I managed to find the autosport f- from that week, we had um, a new Royale, the RP33M, not 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 a, a classic uh, Formula 4 design. We had the Reynard 83FF, which admittedly was just a sort of a rejig of the 82 car that, uh, that sort of reset the uh, rule book for uh, Formula 4. We had a new Delta, that was designed by Mark Williams, a friend of uh, Autosports, who's had a long involvement uh, in the Young Driver Award, uh, a Spartan, and a car called the Sh- Chanel that was designed by Wheat Heidekopper as a student. And Wheat Heidekopper uh, went on to have uh, a long career 
uh, working for many manufacturers, Lola, working for Porsche, uh, working for Nissan in touring cars. And so it was, it, and all these cars were unveiled. And I was actually there when a couple of them were unveiled as, as a sort of 15 year old. And I just, I just couldn't believe, you know. So it, it was just such an event. And can I also point out that Ayrton Senna was there that year? He'd missed it in 81, but he popped along to see, uh, to see see what it was all about in 1982 and i'm I'm sure he probably thought what did i do i should have i should have hung around Uh, well gary i mean you mentioned there that you know center obviously he he didn't take part but as marcus you pointed out you know johnny herbert won in 1985 and you know you look at the the roll call of winners and you know i think some some people that you know might be listening who are younger listeners who you know think um, you know i know what former ford is but you know the festival you know it's not that big a deal anymore and you know, to a certain extent, that is true. It's it's not perhaps the series where drivers you know make a name for themselves anymore to to you know be on the path to F one. But you look at the roll call of winners. I mean, uh, Roland Ratzenberger in nineteen eighty six, Eddie Irvine nineteen eighty seven, uh, Jan Magnussen in nineteen ninety two, Mark Webber in ninety six, Jensen Button in nineteen ninety eight. I mean, I think I'm right in saying that you know Kimi Räikkönen, obviously you know still a current F one driver, you know he competed in the nineteen ninety nine festival. Um, just you know, you guys obviously covered it when it was in its pomp. You know why? Why was it such a draw for drivers? You know, during the eighties and the nineties. You know, why was it the place to be? And uh, you know, how important was it for a driver to do well there at that event? We just can't get those days back because we we don't have a common set of regulations in operation around the world um, like we did then in the in the heyday of of Kent Formula Ford. So. But it was fantastic, and the, you know, talking about the, the Johnny Herbert year, well, he was a he was a Grand Prix winner. Um, if you look at who finished third and fourth that year, it was um, third was Damon Hill. Even younger listeners may have heard of, and, and fourth was um, fourth was Mark Blundell. Went on obviously went on to a strong Formula One and sports car career. Um, sixth place with was um, Steve Robertson, who had quite a successful career, and then probably in Formula One circles managed Kimi Raikkonen, had an involvement with Jensen Button early in his career. So ninth place, Eric van der Poel. <laughs> John Booth, who went on to become uh, Manor F1 team principal uh, and was a really, really handy driver in his own right. Um, so it was a fantastic draw. Every part of the curiosity of it was turning up on the, turning up on the Friday or Saturday and getting your first glimpse at names you'd only heard about who'd been doing well in the German, French, Benelux, Scandinavian championships. Um, and, and actually, we shouldn't ignore the Irish either because they they would come over from Kirkustown or Mondello Park and um, they were always super competitive. So it was just a fantastic cosmopolitan mix-up in the paddock. Um, and you never really you never really knew who was who was going to shine or or who would who would crash out um and and reputations were made i, I can i can remember being at the festival in 86 i think it was when uh, a youngster called Mika Hakkinen came over um who we'd not who we'd only read about in the uh, short reports in uh, in Autosport, which occasionally mentioned Scandinavian Formula Ford. Um, a year later, a driver who was then called Yiki Arvileto um, came over and um, and also made an impression. And of course, he became JJ Leto. So you know, your first glimpse of of um, a whole load of young talent, um, and you knew that eventually some of them would be making their way to Formula One. Um, and and that was part of the intrigue of it. That's a good point talking about sort of the foreign visitors and it was sort of it was quite exotic in 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 sim- in simpler times um but I remember my first one Stefan Beloff was there you know went on to become uh, a formula 1 driver um and of course a great sports car driver before his career was tragically cut short but you know he he had a sort of a bit of a bits of season in uh, 1981 he was doing he did a bit of formula 3 a bit of i think super v as well as as well as uh, formula ford he turned up in a walter lechner racing uh, uh, i do believe it was a prs and he actually got disqualified 
which I, I remember being quite disappointed about because I'd read about him in the pages of Autosport. What I subsequently found out years later when uh, I was doing a story about Beloff, I spoke to uh, Walter Lechner Sr., who, who sadly died uh, a, a year or so ago. Um, and he told me that uh, when they were up in uh, race control being uh, being given uh, the news that they <laughs> had been thrown out by the clerk of the course apparently Beloff through Lechner because Beloff at that time didn't speak much English apparently was quite rude to the clerk of the course uh, and suggested that you know he'd better watch out because Beloff was going places and he'd thrown out a young superstar well the next time Beloff raced in the UK probably the next time he raced at all he was back for the opening round of the uh, Formula 2 European Formula 2 championship driving a Maurer and he won on debut at uh, Silverstone uh, so he did he had a point and of course if it was a PRS it could well have been built by Trevor Carlin um, well indeed the, yeah. uh, factory run by his uh, PRS factory run by his uncles Stephen Vic Holman and designed by Sergio Rinland exactly. who, who I sometimes see in Waitrose of all places <laughs> well we, we know where you shop now Gary so uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean just just um, you know going back to the, the time you know when you guys were there I mean um, it, it's the racing as well it's the race craft I mean you know, drivers today. Um, I think it was quite interesting. And Mick Schumacher got behind the the Jordan one nine one that um, Mick Schumacher. This has got behind the Jordan one nine one that um, his father Michael had driven at Spa. Um, and he'd said that growing up, you know, through the junior formula, he'd never had to um, learn the technique of heel and toe, which is obviously something that you know is paramount in Formula Ford. And he's where you know decades gone by drivers would have to learn that technique you know through that formula you know the skill set that those drivers got through formula ford i mean they you know the, the close race and it carried them through to you know all the way through their careers didn't it really the race craft was part and parcel of the of the british scene really and and formula ford was the bedrock of that i <clears throat> i think um i think that the the race craft really took a, a step in the uh, in the mid 80s um when when it just became ferociously competitive in Formula Ford 1600 when we had people like Bertrand Gachot and Mark Blundell I've already mentioned Paolo Karkaski um, and um, although he wasn't in Formula Ford 1600 that year Dave Coyne was an absolute master exponent of racecraft and and um, one of the one of the little um, um, stories that we've selected for the Autosport feature this week is Dave Coyne's win in the 1990 festival. Now, um, I don't, I don't have a result sheet to hand, and I haven't had for about 30 years. But in my mind, I believe at the time that I remember working out that he'd set about the 15th or 16th fastest lap in that festival final. Um, yet, still managed to to win it, having led all but two or three laps of it, and just hark back to that festival he'd he'd um been brought back by swift after a season in formula renault um to to uh try and win the festival and try and sell some more swifts for next year um and van diemen had brought back nico palares who'd won the 1989 festival to do exactly the same thing for them um he'd had a an unsuccessful underfinanced part season in formula three um and key to um to coin getting to the front um because it was like johnny herbert he'd had a 10 second penalty um start for his heat and then had worked his way through but but key to that was uh, a wet semi-final where he just carved through carved through from uh, 18th on the grid to win that which was uh, and he said um in the piece that we've done this week that it's one of his top three or four performances of, of his career talking about that semi-final um and and the final was just a case of getting in front and trying to keep people behind and and Palhares was the one person he couldn't keep behind but to the to the glee of um Dave and the Swift people um an electrical fault struck Palhares's Van Diemen and from then on all Dave had to do was keep Jean-Christophe Bouillon behind him and and, and Gary knows um Jean-Christophe quite well from his years of covering sports car racing and he's he's an absolutely lovely chap he came into the festival riding high as a fairly dominant French Formula Ford champion but but really you could see that a year of dominating in France hadn't really taught him much in the way of racecraft against a 
an old master like Dave Coyne, and uh, and he was he was just so much quicker than than uh, than Coyne, but there was never any way he was going to get past. And he actually got mugged at the last corner of the last lap by uh, by Finn Murray, who who himself had gone through a school of hard knocks of Irish and then British Formula Ford racing. So so his racecraft was well up to scratch as well, and uh, and that that was really. Uh, a great example of where to win in Formula Ford, to win the festival, you don't have to be necessarily be the fastest. It's uh, a racecraft does play a very strong part in that. I think it's interesting that we're talking that the, perhaps some of the uh, festivals we're talking about are the ones that won from the back. So we're talking about Coin, we're talking about Magnussen in '92, and Herbert, of course, uh, in '85. Uh, and uh, in autosport uh, today, uh, I've done little pieces with with Jan Magnussen and uh, Johnny Herbert about about their triumphs. But it is it is interesting that uh, yeah, everyone loves that come comeback story, don't they? And uh, I unfortunately I missed 1985 because I was in my first year of university and I was uh, 250 miles away from home, so it wasn't uh, possible for me to get there. M25 or no. Certainly I was there just as a fan in 1992 and um, Jan Magnussen's overtaking his two around the outside uh, manoeuvres in the final first on uh, on uh, Oli Gavin and then on um, uh, Neil Cunningham were just were just sensational weren't they it's just like I remember just them blowing my mind at the, at the time just thinking wow this guy guy is something special you know i'd seen i'd seen uh, around the outside maneuvers at uh, at paddock before but the way he pulled it off and the way he did it twice in a row uh it was just uh, sensational so yes i think formula four just taught you something perhaps i don't know yeah it, it was just a very good training ground wasn't it uh and uh and it was accessible in the same way as i would say many uh slicks and wings formula today are not accessible i mean uh, a couple of years ago uh, i did a, uh, a story about the things racing drivers did f- did to fund their careers uh, it was in the autosport christmas edition uh, i won't talk about uh, some of them but i'll talk about derek daly who uh, who i also spoke to he funded his first year of racing in 1975 the year before the year before sorry he funded his first year of racing uh, in Ireland in Formula Ford uh, in his homeland by working in the Australian iron ore mines for six months. So he earned enough money in six months to pay for a season of Formula Ford. OK, not not in the UK, but still a lot of money. Is there any job you could do to earn uh, enough money to fund your, uh, you know, a season of Formula Four uh, to earn in, to earn some enough money in six months? I'd, I'd like to know what it is. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, it's it's the easiest thing in the world to just go and be a director of a financial institution for uh, for for a few months. <laughs> yeah, age age fifteen, age fifteen or sixteen. So yeah, so I think it it was a great a great school. But it was an accessible school. You know, Jan Magnussen came from a, a modest background. Had there been no Formula Ford, would Jan Magnussen, you know, would he have been able to do what he did? That's, that's a good question. I know you're going to say his son did, but that's a bit different because obviously Jan was involved in, in the business of motor racing, which helped open doors for his son. Yeah. Also, Gary, I mean, um, you know, talking about Jan Magnussen in 1992, one of the one of the great what ifs of, of that year is um, that the British champion from that season was um, Jamie Spence, who mm. um, who also came from a pretty modest background, didn't he? Um, a, car- a carpet layer, I think. Well, he became a carpet layer, and I think that was the family business laying carpets. Yeah, and and um, of course Jamie got um, got involved in um, a, an incident in the last round of the British Formula Ford Championship at Silverstone, for which he. Um, Served a ban, uh, and the period of that ban kept him kept him out of the festival, uh, and um, which um, then meant that Oliver Gavin was drafted into the Swift team. So, um, and and we've mentioned his role in the um, in the lead battle for that. But um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Though um, people like Jamie and and Jan Magnussen, um, they they wouldn't be able to. They almost certainly wouldn't be able to get the start in the sport today that they got back then, would they? 
I hundred percent agree with that. It, it definitely, um, you know, was the pathway for a lot of drivers, wasn't it? And as you say, got them on the ladder because you had the manufacturers as well. You know, you had Van Diemen, you had Swift, um, Mondial as well. You know, you had actually companies putting money into it and and being able to fund these drivers, which. I think perhaps now I know you've obviously got the driver academies, but it's perhaps a bit more sort of streamlined, and it isn't going to offer the opportunity to it, you know drivers who don't have a budget already. Well, it's a different business model, isn't it? If you think in one make uh, uh, single seater racing, uh, a constructor doesn't need need to show off its wares, does it? It doesn't need to put a quick driver in to prove that its car's good. Uh, Formula Ford, it you know we'd see these ringers at the festival. Uh, who were basically there to uh, show off the car and get orders for the following year. And that was that was one of the beauties of Formula 4 for me, just the variety of cars. Okay, we sort of had a control engine, but there were there were different tuners. Uh, but it's just a variety of cars. And as 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 someone interested in motor racing, I just I just love that variety, you know, and the shapes, uh and the fact that they they were different, and there are all these sort of obscure these obscure marks, and then sometimes you'd see uh, a mark from abroad, and you'd never seen that car before. Uh, uh, just yeah, just I I just love that the variety, and and as as well as um, supporting the the drivers financially or with uh, or with deals or or what have you. I mean, um, Gary's mentioned the 1982 festival as the first one he he went to, but I, I believe that. Julian Bailey, uh, he, the Lola he raced that year, um, was free of charge, wasn't it? Um, I, I do I think, believe it was. Yeah, yeah that it so, was loaned to him because um, uh, it was in it was in Lola's interest for a quick young driver in in their case that year, Julian Bailey, to have a Lola so that they could win races and increase their attractiveness in the marketplace for the following season. No doubt Van Diemen were doing the same with selected drivers, no doubt Reynard. So so um and and I've long believed that the the, the one make route of single seater racing being there because it's cheaper is an absolutely flawed logic because um it's it's actually considerably more expensive uh to the top talents anyway. Uh it, it it may be much of a muchness for the drivers who aren't particularly good and wouldn't be given those deals in the first place. But um, but having open competition on chassis, engines, etc., um, is going to make your route much much easier if you're a Jan Magnussen, if you're a Julian Bailey, if you're a Dave Coyne. Um, it just gives you that chance, doesn't mm. it? Whereas with with the sort of homogenised world of uh, the junior single seater racing today. There's 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 not that sort of there's not that um, hand, you know leg up that a sort of young impoverished driver will often need you know unless he gets on one of the schemes uh, you know which there are probably few and far there there aren't so many places available you know he he doesn't really have a chance he or she doesn't really have a chance as we kind of talked about. Um you know, we said that the heyday of, of Formula Ford sadly is, is sort of behind us. Um, the series still, you know, does, has continued, and um, but the numbers, you know, aren't anywhere near, you know, the same as they had been. Um, drivers on the path to F1, you know, don't see it as a somewhere to start, you know, their single seated career. But um, you know, I think it's important to say that despite all that, you know, this year's festival entry looks fantastic. To be quite honest, I mean, you know, there's over a hundred cars, which, to be honest, I don't think it's had since at least the early 2000s um you know it might even be in the, the 90s um and you know gary you've mentioned him already jan magnuson um well you know nearly 20 um no sorry nearly 30 years after he, he you know he won there uh, he's making a return um and he's not the only xf1 driver and former winner and roberto moreno is as well so it's um you know it's quite a you know from what do you guys think it's quite nice to see sort of some old faces back it will sort of be a bit of deja vu for you both well i think people people love it uh, and it was interesting that when I was speaking to Jan about 1992, he goes, well, do you know who's got my old RF-92 uh, Van Diemen? And I said, I- I'm sorry, I don't. But I've, fa- I've since found out, 
and I'm trying to get a contact for that person. So he was just sort of infusing about Formula Ford. At that point, he didn't know that he would uh, be doing the race. And at that point, he was still due. Uh, it wasn't clear, but he uh, he might have been doing the first of the two uh, Bahrain uh, WC races, which the team now have decided to put one driver in uh, for the two races, which is uh, Robert Kubica. But at that point, it looked like he wouldn't be around on a festival weekend. But he, he just clearly had brilliant memories and just a love for Formula Ford. And it was interesting, I was talking to uh, Wayne Boyd, uh, who is an overall festival winner in the Juratech days, and uh, well, and an overall festival winner in the Kent days. Uh, in two, so that's 2008 and 2015. And he just said, you know, he had a period when he didn't race regularly. And he just says, I said, well, why did you always come over and do uh, the festival? And it's sort of, it's sort of sister event, the Walter Hayes Trophy at, at Silverstone. He goes, well, two reasons. One, uh, you know, you always hope that if you keep your name in the limelight, something can come up but he said also that i just love those races particularly the festival and he loved racing formula four and he says if he ever gets the chance again he'd he'd love to do love to do the festival again he said it's just a brilliant event it is great isn't it and and uh we've we've seen we've seen some reasonably big names do walter hayes trophy from time to time over the years or, or not necessarily necessarily even reasonably big but people stepping back from higher echelons of the sport but uh, but now it seems to have um, moved up another gear uh, for both the festival and and the Hayes, and and that's great. And and I didn't, I had no idea uh, that. I mean, of course, the other uh, Danish superstar doing the event with Jan Magnussen is Dennis Lind, the uh, newly crowned British GT champion. I I had no idea that, uh, who, and also Formula Ford Festival winner of twenty ten, I think. Um, and I had no idea that Dennis Lind was. Um, was Jan Magnussen's nephew <laughs> um, until until reading a, a story about it. And um, well, it's a talented family, then, isn't it? <laughs> so, um, so that that's terrific. Um, Roberto Moreno. I was talking to um, Jonathan Lewis, um, who's running the car and is uh, a proper uh, hardcore uh, old timer of Formula Ford team team boss team management etc um and uh you know just the the story that that he's pulling together for that is um is absolutely brilliant i mean no, nobody knows nobody knows um which van diemen rf80 is the moreno one so the car they've got could be his but probably more likely isn't but they've brought um mickey galter the the uh, the van diemen mechanic from back in the day um, back to run the car and um, and Jonathan has also asked Ralph Furman if he'd like to be uh, team manager and he's going to drag him along and, and try and get him on, on yeah. duties there so a proper old school Van Diemen reunion and then um, also the, the second part of that story is um, is what is, is who Jonathan's running at the Walter Hayes Trophy the, um, in the, the following event but I'm not sure whether that sort of is covered by uh, this particular podcast but uh, but a, a really lovely well we'll mention it anyway Kelvin Burton Kelvin Kelvin Burton Warren Hughes so um, yeah two drivers inextricably uh, involved with Jonathan in their early careers and in in Formula Ford and it's just a brilliant story and and I, I just love hearing that um, things like this are happening um, blokes in their 50s and 60s all getting together for a bit of fun it's going to be really interesting to see how they get on i mean um i'm not sure um i mean do any of you know when moreno last raced something because obviously you know jan's been doing quite a bit of world sports cars and you know as you said marcus dennis lind has um you know just won the british gt3 crown with um, lamborghini so you know those two are a bit sort of you know race ready but um yeah, I'm not quite sure when Moreno would have last been behind the wheel of something, to be honest. A one-off outing in the Rene Megan Trophy in 2012. Whether he's done something uh, lower than that on the radar, I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, that... I've no doubt he'll be he'll be as competitive as ever and and trying to to win, even though it might be a bit of a long shot. But uh, but yeah, I mean, gr- you know, great that uh, you know people like him, you know, ex, you know, let, you know, let's not look the fact that you know th- these are previous winners. You know, and these are guys who made it to the top in F1. Um, you know, so for them to, to come back, you know, 30 and 40 years respectively, 
you know, to, to want to compete. Um, you know, it's, it still, I guess, sort of shows that Formula Ford racing, you know, it's still accessible to a lot of people, isn't it? And I know maybe that's one of its criticisms that it hasn't, you know, these are basically the same cars that have been used for the last 10, 20 years. You know, the engines haven't really moved along, but, you know, you don't necessarily need to modernize things to make it good racing. And I think, you know, perhaps that's the key, isn't it? You know, you, you, you can use these older machines and you can still have fantastic racing. But the beauty of, of Formula Ford is that the, you know, without, without the aero, uh, well, without wings on the cars, obviously they're aerodynamic by definition because they're, shapes but um but but without but without the wings on them uh there's not too much you can do um aerodynamics wise and and that you know really means that you can yeah you you still see people running competitively in in the national formula ford championship these days with a van diemen rf 99 and you think blimey that's 22 years old so so when uh when i first went to the festival in uh 1985 a 22-year-old uh, starter formula car then would have been a, a Lotus or Brabham Formula Junior from 1963 um, so um, yeah the, the the lack of scope to um, to do too much with the uh, with the cars is um, definitely something that will have kept it accessible to those sorts of drivers um, and um, and would would make it would make it competitive. But going going back to um, yeah, Roberto Moreno, for example, um, at, at the festival, and then Kelvin Burt, who raced that Van Diemen at the Hayes Trophy, and, and Warren Hughes will be in a Royal RP26. I mean, clearly, um, a 1980 Van Diemen and a 1978 Royal is not going to uh, put you in the mix up at the front against. Uh, cars built in the 2000s, 2010s, because of the, um, in, in a large part, that's because of the suspension improvements that were made through the 80s. And um, unless it rains, of course, and then who knows what can happen. As someone who's going to be at this year's event, sat in the Paddock Hill grandstand, I'm prepared to wear about five layers and <laughs> and, and and my gloves as well. Because um, having been a couple of years ago, it's uh, it's a great event. But yeah, if you are going, make sure you wrap up warm because it's um, yeah, it can get a bit chilly up there. If you get some rain, that's good. Think of '89 uh, and when Nico Nico Paolares did win. He you know he spun, dropped to fourth, and came back and won it. And that was just a brilliant uh, a brilliant addition of the festival, wasn't it? Funny you should mention that one, Gary, because. Um, that was the year that Bernard Dolan arguably should have won because he absolutely yes. dominated that event. Um, I think we we ran an interesting piece a couple of years ago on on that where um, I think it must have been 2019 for the for the anniversary where, he, as I say, he dominated the event up until the final when it rained and um, I think I'm right in saying that he he believed his car hadn't been changed to a wet setup. Um, and you can see in the footage off the line, he just has no traction. There's wheel spin, I think, in third gear and. Um, basically he knew from the first corner that he'd, he'd lost the race and but don't forget he was on pole because he you know he was he was the man wasn't he and pole at uh, brands hatch you know down in the dip was always a tricky one and i remember speaking to uh, johnny herbert he was on the outside so third on the grid and he was happy to be out there because it was the flattest place well think about it if it's raining and it really was raining in 1989 it's that's going to exacerbate the problem because you're going to have you know you're almost probably going to have some pooling of the water there in that little little dip so so i don't know um if it was uh only a setup problem but you know he he he, uh dolan um had the odds against him to get away off the line well that year. I think there's something to be said for, for both arguments there because uh, cause I think he's about 12th, isn't he, by the time he gets into Paddock and that's, that's, uh, that's probably more than, more than just the setup and more than just the uh, disadvantageous nature of the brand's pole position slot. But um, I mean, the other thing about that festival, um, which, as you pointed out, was won by Nico Palhares, was that um, he came through to demote um, a battle for the lead between uh, Dave Coyne and, and David Coulthard. So in a way, the following year, Coyne kind of avenged that 89 defeat. Um, but uh, and 
um, yeah, I mean, that was one of the features of the festival of, as well that year. Um, David Coulthard as a junior, um, you know, driver in only his first season of racing, um, battling with Coyne and Palaras at the front of the field. And, uh, and um, it was a terrific race, though, wasn't it, Gary? Um, oh, yeah, was, absolutely. I was probably getting wetter than you because I would have been at, at Paddock somewhere. I don't know where you might have been in the press room, but possibly um, no, not, actually. No, actually, I, I hadn't yet started my career at Motoring News. Um, uh-huh. I, was, I was there. I would, I would have been there anyway as a spectator, but actually uh, that morning uh, it had been my third ever race in Formula First in the opening oh, round of the Winter okay. Series. So, oh, uh, right. okay. so, um, so we were there anyway as a, as a family and, um, and quite obviously we're not going to go home uh, straight, after, straight after my race. We were going to no. stay and watch the festival until, until the end. I think we've been talking, you know, talking about Brands Hatch and uh, everything. Of course, one thing we haven't mentioned, of course, is that the Formula Ford Festival started at Snetterton. Uh, it didn't move to Brands until 76. That was the year Derek Daly won it in, in his Hawk. Uh, and I, I just, I, years ago, I was told a story about the sort of the how the genesis of the festival and Anne Bradshaw who many uh, people will know as uh, as a PR lady who worked for Williams in the in the 80s uh, often seen holding an umbrella on the on the grid over uh, Nigel Mansell or Ricardo Petrezzi or whoever you know a stalwart of the PR scene uh, and before that briefly uh, worked on Autosport as um, I do believe Deputy's Rally Editor. But before that, she worked for the BRSCC. And the tales she uh, tells that she was sort of entry secretary um, and for a meeting at SNET, a sort of end of season Formula Ford meeting, uh, they they had more entries than they could accommodate. Uh, So she went to see Peter Browning, who was boss of the BRSCC at the time, and said, I've got all these entries. Well, what are we going to do? He goes, oh, we'll put on uh, some heats you know and more entries obviously they formulated an idea which I, i'm told sort of it's generally billed as uh, peter browning's idea uh and it actually it was only formula ford racing there was no there was no other car type of car on the on the bill uh that weekend and it's just interesting uh you know we know um uh ian taylor uh, a real talent you know su- successful in formula 3 who who arguably should have uh, should have gone further uh in the single seater realm uh won the race but it's just look- looking down through the results i picked out i think s- six future formula 1 drivers tiffany dell in his uh, Lotus 69f which he won in an autosport competition and i i can tell you how he won it uh, if you want, um, he yeah he was fourth in his heat. Larry Perkins was third. Danny Sullivan was fifth, but had been running third in his Eldon until uh, very close. Uh, I think in the final laps he had a spin. Patrick Nev, uh, Williams Grand Prix Engineering's first driver. Hans Binder did a few races uh, uh, for Certes uh, a few years later. And Ian Ashley, who was uh, actually racing in Formula 5000 that year, I would have thought, uh, came back to race an Alexis. But he didn't actually race it because apparently it developed an oil leak on the grid. But that, that's really interesting that, you know, even in year one, OK, m- many of those were British regulars. But I don't I, I think I, I'd be right in saying I doubt if Hans Binder was. Uh, it, and, and the sort of preview in the pages of Autosport does talk about sort of foreign visitors and there were 90 entries for the race, even in year one, and 85 turned up. And Autosports uh, Preview made uh, a big play of the sort of festival atmosphere and talked about a party afterwards and mentioned that there were going to be uh, fireworks and uh, go-go girls. And that's, that's not to forget the buffet as well. I can't forget about the buffet there, Gary. Um, I, I mean, yeah, like you said, the history is, is really interesting. Um, the first four years were at Snetterton. I mean, do you know the reason it moved to Brands Hatch in 76, sort of the reason behind that? Well, because that was sort of uh, HQ, or, or 
to say HQ would be wrong, but that was the sort of more of the base of the BRSCC and MCD, the the sort of the circuit group that in- incorporated brands uh, Snetterton and uh, Orton and and at that time Mallory Park, I believe. Uh, uh, so yeah, it was it was sort of made sense, I guess. I mean, I'm sh- people have told me that the uh, BRSCC East Anglia set section was actually a bit miffed that brands had pinched it whether whether that's true or not because peter browning who is generally credited with the with the seed of the idea was was overall um brscc boss so I, I i don't know how true that is but i guess i guess it just made sense to move it to uh to the um to the home of the club and the home of the circuit or- organizing body and i think I mean, but some people say, well, overtaking is not that easy at brands, but it's it's, you know, holding it on the brands indie circuit is a not that it was called the indie circuit in 1976. We were a couple of years away from that and the visit of of uh, of uh, uh, indie cars. Uh, but it just made for, a you know, a good race, a good spectacle. You know, you could from most places you could see most of the corners, you know, uh, so I suspect that had something to do with it and i just think it's certainly brands especially brands before graham hill was changed in, in the late 90s it had an amazing flow to it and i think it and and that yeah and that and that that, that added something to the festival i'm sure i'm going to have uh people from uh attleborough complaining uh about this uh that it's uh that brands is it is a better venue or was a better venue uh for the uh, festival uh but i i do think that is the case would you agree would you agree marcus uh, i'd say uh totally i mean brands brands uh club circuit as it was then called uh it, it's just tailor-made for formula ford isn't it and mm-hmm. and uh you know, the the amphitheater setting of it means you can from wherever you are you can probably see about 95 percent of the circuit um, the the laps are forty nine fifty seconds. Um, the um, just yeah you you would you would get during the heyday you would get the grandstands at the top of paddock absolutely packed. You'd get mm. the, the the banks at, at paddock absolutely packed, um, and and all all the racing. <clears throat> And this wouldn't have happened if it had been at Snetterton, but uh, but all the racing took place to the, the soundtrack of Brian Jones's booming baritone voice on Absolutely. on commentary. And um, what a fantastic voice he had! Um, and what a fantastic Bri- man! He what was a fantastic as well. man! Yeah, I mean Brian, um, who sadly died over the Christmas New Year period last year, was just a massive fan of Formula Ford. And and really, I think Gary that Formula Ford Festival, Brian Jones and Kensington pretty much go in the same sentence, don't they? That's right. And just on a historical note, there is a significance to 1976 because that was the year that the, the brand's indie circuit was slightly remodelled. That the the paddock, uh, you know, between the Brabham Strait and what is now Cooper Strait, uh, the paddock was extended. So the back of the Indy circuit, so from uh, Graham Hill to to Surtees, was pushed back. So if you look at a map of the old Indy circuit, it's, it's, it's a different shape. Uh, and at the same time, paddock uh, was slightly remodelled to give a bit of, uh, uh, a bit of uh, runoff. Uh, so I guess I guess that was probably uh, part of the decision. And of course, Marcus mentioned the Kentigan, the the bar restaurant, call it what you will, uh, hub of Brands Hatch, was actually opened in 1976. So so perhaps uh, so uh, that, that I'm sure that actually played uh, played a part in the decision to move it from Snet to Brands. And if if we were doing this podcast a couple of years ago, we would have asked Brian that question i'm sure if we were doing the, if if brian was still alive we would have heard his uh his dulcet tones would have been part of this podcast yeah ab- absolutely and and also you mentioned graham hill and 30s but of course that remodeling in 1976 was also 
also when they changed those corner names, wasn't it? Well, that, that, well yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Because yeah. Graham it was Hill all Bend. called Kidley, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> well, I remember Graham Hill Bend was Bottom Bend, wasn't it? Yes. And, yeah. um, and what we now call Surtees was called South Bank Corner, wasn't it? Is that right? I did yeah, not know I, that. I, I, I did I, know I, that. I think so, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. but, well, it's but, funny, isn't it? Corner names at brands and, you know, people say, oh, going into Clearway is sort of the riot after Surtees. Uh, well, really, that that is correctly called McLaren, isn't it? But well, everyone calls it Clearways, <laughs> and Brian yes. called it Clearways, so Clearways yeah. is good enough for me. Well, it, it beats calling uh, calling them turns one, two, three. You know, it's it's <laughs> yeah, nice to right. nice yeah. to be at a circuit where you know there's actual history behind the corners and the names, and yeah. you know, um, you know, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one. You guys have said it. You know, great that it's um, you know that Brands Hatch is the home of the festival now because. You know, there's been some fantastic races and I'm sure there's going to be, you know, another fantastic event this weekend. And as already mentioned um, in this week's Hotspot magazine, um, Marcus, Gary and a few other people have looked at um, some of the winners and best events from the history of the, the Formula Ford Festival, which you can pick up ahead of this weekend. Um, guys, thank you very much for your time as ever. It's always really appreciated. Um, thank you at home for listening. Make sure you get to the festival this weekend. Um, if you can't, fear not. There is another chance to witness some Formula Ford action this year at the Walt Hayes Trophy next month. Um, but all, all that's left to do is to say thank you very much for listening. And until next time, goodbye. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hey, what's up, guys? This is MMA fighter Clay Guida, and I'm not afraid of anyone or anything, but losing my hair was an entirely different kind of fight. So if you're suffering from hair loss like I was, then you got to check out my boys at Bosley. Pound for pound, they are the champions of hair restoration. That's why I turned to Bosley to get my hair back. The entire Bosley team was so professional and kind from start to finish. All it took was a simple one-day procedure, and I was on my way back to rocking my full hair again. So take it from me. Don't wait if you are thinning or receding. I'm so thrilled with my results, I just wish I would have went to Bosley sooner. It's time to finally knock out hair loss because the best is yet to come. Check out Bosley today. When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text CLAY to 203203. Text CLAY to 203203. Or go to bosley.com. That's bosley.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.